Welcome to Fuel, Sweat, and Science with Dr. Tip. Each week, we're going to take an in-depth look at how to avoid paralysis by analysis from all the fat loss, weight loss, options, noise, and claims out there, and move past a history of failed attempts which may have caused metabolic changes or suppression. I'm your host, Dr. Tiffany Breeding, PhD, fitness nutrition, and strength and conditioning specialist. My goal is to help you learn to balance busy, social, everyday lives while still seeing results and realize that losing weight does not have to be so complicated. Let's do this. Okay, guys, we are talking hit versus steady state. This argument now has probably been going back and forth for 10 years when high-intensity interval training really came into mainstream fitness concepts and boutique studios. But really, HIT training, if we look at the history of it, back as early as the early 1900s when European distance runners were integrating interval training into their workouts for the Olympics. I know when I was going through some track and just sports-specific training in high school, the term fartlek training, which we all kind of got a chuckle out of, it still kind of makes me laugh, was something that was integrated in. And it was these just interval high burst sprint type intervals where you're sprinting the curves and jogging the straight. So, you know, we think of it as a newer concept, but really the idea of interval training and bursts versus resting intervals is not really a new concept. Now it's new in terms of it being the primary component of exercise, just in terms of gyms and fitness studios, but not for athletes and elite competitors. But HIT in and of itself, as we look at it now, is defined as repeated bouts of high-intensity intervals at five-second to eight-minute durations followed by recovery periods. And the recovery periods can vary, certainly. With spin classes, the Tabata is a common term, and that's a really short burst, you know, 10-second burst or 20-second burst with a 10-second recovery Whereas if you're in a class like an Orange Theory or an F45, those may be longer duration hit type classes where you might have five or eight minute intervals of work followed by rest periods. So, you know, the definition of hit is pretty broad, but it's essentially an interval where you're not just doing something at a constant heart rate or in constant intensity level for the duration of the exercise session. That by comparison would be a steady state or a continuous effort type of training. And that would be 20 to 30 minutes where you're going at a constant heart rate and there's no variability in that heart rate. And so that is what would be defined as steady state. And that could be any kind of activity, running, cycling, swimming, hiking, but you're just not varying your heart rate, yoga, Pilates, even weight training. I mean, weight training can be done as a hit or as steady state, though when you're lifting heavy, it lends itself to an intensity interval change because you're going to be exerting greater effort and your heart rate's going to spike even if you're doing a 1RM bench press or squat. 
because of the volume of that and because of the working muscle, it's going to require your heart to work and tax it more to complete that lift. So weight training is harder to do steady state, though I'm certain it could be done if you're wearing a heart rate monitor and you're tracking rest intervals and the intensity of your training, especially if you're doing machine weights. I've been doing that a lot recently because of my hip surgery in November. And, you know, I think I do get a spike for sure, but I would say if you're doing machine selectorized type resistance training, it's going to be easier even doing TRX or band work, body weight type of stuff. If you're doing it really slow and intentional, that's why yoga, you can keep a pretty steady heart rate because the movements are very fluid thing, you know, the term of yoga flow or power flow, they're fluid. But of course, then you're looking at differences in heart rate intensity because of the bending, or if you're doing like a forward fold and the blood flow changes, your heart rate certainly could change just because of the flow of the blood to your heart and those sorts of things. So Anyway, I kind of got off on a tangent there, but essentially it's a heart rate tracking difference. And that's why things like Orange Theory, where you're wearing, or My Zone, where you're wearing a heart rate monitor, they can really see if those variabilities in heart rate and how much time you're spending in certain zones, which is what heart rate monitors tend to utilize to gauge that as they have zones of intensity. And we're going to get into that a little bit, though. You know, this episode really is more just about comparing HIT to steady state or constant continuous intensity exercise and which is more effective. And when I say effective, I mean, we're essentially talking about for fat loss or for body composition optimization because we exercise for so many different reasons. So when we say better, I mean, better for what? I mean, if your goal is just longevity and physical activity and stress reduction, moving your body, keeping your heart healthy, then that's a different better than I want to bulk up and I want to optimize lean muscle and I want to be ripped and I want to have a six pack. I mean, so when we say better, I'm really just talking about what are the pros and cons and then you can maybe determine for you which is better based on which type of training has certain noted benefits. And so, you know, if we compare what's most beneficial or effective in terms of overall training, if we just look at a holistic type of exercise modality, Ace Fitness uses a really interesting analogy and it's kind of, you know, there's a little cloudy, but basically what they're saying is if you look at your body like a car and you look at the two options, you get on the road and you're trying to get somewhere fast, you either can number one, add miles to your trip by taking city streets, back roads with lots of stoplights and stop signs and different reasons you may have to accelerate and decelerate. Or you can take the more direct route on the highway where you're slowly moving and not having to start and stop a lot, but it's more congested. So you maybe get there slower because you're only moving at a few miles per hour. So which one burns more gas, places more wear and tear on your car? Is it the frequent starting and stopping of the city 
or is it the highway at a constant rate of speed? And so what they're saying is basically, if you look at HIT training, which is our city driving component of this analogy, it's definitely time effective. So you maybe get to your goal faster, you burn more calories in a shorter period of time, improve the aerobic capacity as compared to steady state where you've got this more constant, low to moderate intensity work, it takes you longer potentially to get to your goal, but maybe the wear and tear on that isn't there. So you can decide if I'm willing to put my body through more intensity, breaking it down, needing to optimize recovery, but it's more efficient and I get to my goal faster, or would I rather work slower, more intentional, more moderate, but it might just take me a little bit longer to get there, but I'm maintaining the wear and tear on my engine. So if we look at this, we say, okay, what are the advantages of the steady state, right? What are the advantages of doing sort of these longer duration, endurance type training, aerobic capacity, aerobic being with oxygen, and we'll get into that a little bit as well as we talk about the myth of the fat burning zone. But if we exercise below our anaerobic threshold, so anaerobic threshold means the point at which we are no longer oxidizing fat for fuel. We have now gone into high enough intensity levels to where our body is utilizing primarily carbohydrate sources for fuel. Anaerobic by definition is without oxygen. And because fat is an oxidative process, fat metabolism requires oxygen, we are burning carbs for fuel at higher levels of intensity. So if we're exercising below that anaerobic threshold, then it's aerobic activity. That's where it got its name, aerobics. And when I hear that, my dad still calls it aerobics. But I think of like Jack LaLanne or like aerobicized, jazzercise, you know, leg warmer period. But anyway, aerobic is with oxygen, lower intensity, moderate intensity exercise, puts less stress, obviously, in the cardiovascular, cardiorespiratory system. And it's certainly an effective way to get our bodies more efficient in those longer duration bouts. So if you're an endurance athlete and your ultimate goal and only goal is to be able to sustain long periods of exercise, then certainly steady state, more moderate intensity, longer duration activity is going to be sport specific for you. And it's also great for heart health because it makes your heart work longer and it keeps it, you know, in a moderate level to where you're not overtaxing it before it's ready. So that's one advantage is just the lower level of physical and heart stress. It's definitely effective for increasing the density of your mitochondria. Now, the mitochondria is the energy center of the cell. So if we can increase the density of our mitochondria, then they become more efficient and they can provide higher levels of energy to the cell to keep them working longer and keep them recovering. And these type one, which is we call them slow twitch muscles. So type one fibers are longer and leaner. Think of like a marathon 
endurance athlete versus sprinter who's a little bit more short and stocky in their muscle fiber type. That's a, a type two fiber. So those type one fibers, the slow twitch fibers are what provide energy for aerobic metabolism or that fat metabolism. So that's another advantage is that that steady state, continuous effort type of exercise increases type one mitochondrial density. It's also very beneficial for just the efficiency of our heart. So stroke volume, cardiac output, these are cardio terms, meaning how efficient our heart is at beating and how much blood per beat it provides to working muscles and cells to provide them oxygen so that they can keep working. And it also, again, uses fat as a fuel source in those lower intensity zones that doesn't mean that that's better because we're burning less calories at those lower intensity zones. So for example, the fat burning myth, you've heard that you burn more fat at lower intensity. So should I just work at these really low intensities if all I want to do is burn fat? Well, you're burning a greater percentage of fat as a fuel source. That doesn't mean that the total volume of fat being burned is greater. For example, Let's say that you're walking at 50% of your max heart, which would be def- or max heart rate, which would be defined as low intensity. Again, if you have a heart rate monitor or have ever had one that gives you those zones or you've done a class that's putting you in heart rate zones, 50% is going to be low intensity. So if you're walking at low intensity, 50% of your max heart rate for 30 minutes, depending on your age and weight and gender, et cetera. Let's say you're burning 200 calories in that 30 minutes. At that 50% of your max heart rate, about 60% of your fuel is coming from fat. So 60% of those 200 calories are fat calories being burned. That's 120 calories will come from fat. So let me say that again, because I know if you're listening and you're trying to hear all these numbers, I know I can't do it in my head either. of the fuel that you're using at that 50% of your max heart rate, if I'm exercising at 50% of my total ability, then I'm burning 60% fat. And 60% of 200 calories is 120 calories. So you've burned 120 calories of fat. Now, comparatively, if you exercised for the same amount of time, 30 minutes, at a high intensity, So if you're doing a HIIT class for 30 minutes and your heart rate's averaging 75% of your max, so at that walking low intensity, you're at 50%, now you're at 75% of your max capacity. So your intensity is a lot higher. You're burning about 400 calories in that 30 minutes. And that 75% only 35% of your total calories are going to come from fat because you're more anaerobic. Remember, we talked about that without oxygen. More of your energy is coming from anaerobic sources. More carbohydrate is being used. Only 35% of the fuel that you're burning is fat at higher heart rates. So there's 35% fat burning, but 
35% of 400 calories is 140 calories. So even though the percentage of fat being utilized to fuel that workout is less, because you're burning more calories overall at higher intensities, you still come out burning more fat calories. So lower intensity for 30 minutes, 120 calories from fat. 30 minutes at high intensity, 140 calories from fat. So that's why the fat burning myth is really confusing and has been debunked because you may burn a higher percentage of fat at lower intensities, but that doesn't mean you're burning more total fat because you're inevitably just not going to burn as many calories. So just depends on, again, what your goals are. And again, those calorie counts are relative. That's just an example of you might burn 750 calories in 30 minutes. So I'm not saying you're only going to burn 400 calories in 30 minutes in a hit. Just that's an example to compare 30 minutes of low intensity and 30 minutes of high intensity and how fuel utilization varies. So again, if we go back to then the benefits of this steady state kind of lower intensity, yeah, you are burning a higher percentage of fat, but that means you might have to do an hour or an hour and a half to get that 400 calories that you would get in 30 minutes of a hit. The other things about steady state is that they do provide better recovery and they do tend to offset burnout and just overtraining just by nature of not putting so much load on your body. But you know, the disadvantages is that you do have to do longer to get more out of it. Extended periods of exercise, sometimes you don't have time for it. So it's not as time efficient and thus can you be as consistent in getting it done if you don't have an hour, an hour and a half to carve out of your day. So I think sometimes it's a lifestyle choice more than anything whether you choose the continuous steady state longer duration type of exercise. And there could be a combination. You don't have to pick one or the other. And I think that's the biggest takeaway of this whole thing is it's not necessarily one or the other. Perhaps you get a mix, but if you're going to prioritize something, I think that's when you have to look at what are my goals and what's doable and what's sustainable and what, you know, am I able to really benefit from on a consistent basis. So if we look at HIT then, you know, what are the pros and cons there? Well, the pros are it burns more calories in a shorter period of time, right? You're getting your heart rate up higher, you're going to need more fuel, you're going to be getting more expenditure, and you're going to have to do it for less time to get the same expenditure. And there is some argument about this EPOC, the excess post-oxygen consumption where you continue to burn calories from fat after the workout is over. I don't buy that. I mean, yes, you might get additional calorie expenditure, but top in 10 to 15% of your total calories for the day. So if your basal metabolic rate or your total daily expenditure for the day is, you know, 3,000 calories, you know, you get 10% of that. So, you know, is it worth it? I don't know in terms of do you get that much more out of it. So you just have to make that decision whether you're, you know, you're really getting that much additional benefit for the load and for the volume of taxing on your body. 
It does and has been shown to improve your aerobic capacity. So even though in HIIT training, you're spending a lot of time in those anaerobic zones, what that's doing is it's pushing your threshold higher and higher. The more time you spend in those anaerobic zones, the more efficient you get there and you start to move that needle up and you start to be able to sustain and stay aerobic, stay right under your threshold for longer. And so you push the envelope and you start to increase your VO2 max, which is your volume of oxygen uptake. How efficient are you at moving oxygen to working muscles? And the more efficient you become at that, the more your endurance improves because you can endure because you're moving oxygen to the muscles and the fatigue starts to become less and less. You start to offset fatigue and prolong it for longer as you become more efficient at moving oxygen to your working muscles. So that does help improve VO2 max and aerobic capacity and also increases your anaerobic threshold. And that's the level above which aerobic energy production is really happening. So in, in essence, as you move your anaerobic threshold higher and higher, then you have more space for aerobic with oxygen. And because fat is pretty unlimited in the body as a fuel source, the more we can stay under that threshold and stay aerobic, then the longer we're going to be able to endure activity because we're constantly going to have fat to provide as an energy source. Glycogen which is our carbohydrate, our anaerobic energy source, is a limited source of fuel. And that's why when we have endurance athletes doing ultra-long bouts of activity, they're putting glycogen in, they're eating bananas, they're putting in goos and gels and, and jellies, you know, just to get more sugar in the muscle because they're in their anaerobic zones and they need to refill those glycogen stores. If we can stay aerobic, then we have a much more unlimited fuel source to dip into to sustain activity. So if we can increase anaerobic threshold, meaning push that top end higher and higher and become more efficient aerobically, then we'll be able to sustain those levels longer and also continue burning some level of fat for fuel. Because if we stay aerobic then we're going to be dipping into fat as a percentage of that energy source, whereas at at the anaerobic level, it's 100% carbohydrate as fuel. So that's definitely a benefit. And we look at insulin sensitivity. So insulin is the hormone in the pancreas. So as blood sugar increases, blood glucose levels increase, the pancreas releases insulin to regulate blood sugar. So If we can become more sensitive to insulin, then we don't need as much of it to lower our blood sugar levels. So it's actually a positive thing to be somewhat insulin sensitive because our body is not going to need as much of it to respond and lower blood sugar levels. So when you become 
insensitive or insulin resistant, that's when it becomes a problem, right? Because then you got to dump more and more and more because your body is resistant to it. So you can't ever really bring the blood sugar down. So insulin sensitivity and insulin resistance are the opposite of one another. So we become a little more insulin sensitive, then we can keep our body at equilibrium and we don't get these ups and downs of the blood glucose train. That high level intensity might actually improve our insulin sensitivity to a greater extent. All exercise improves insulin sensitivity. So folks that are sedentary, just when they start moving, moderate, high intensity, whatever type of intensity, it improves the sensitivity. But those of us that do some HIIT training, they might actually see a greater threshold of that. The benefits are actually exacerbated a little bit. So, So, you know, the cons of HIIT, I would say, Definitely more susceptible to some injury, the load, the volume, you know, something like a CrossFit training where it's just really dynamic, really high intensity and a lot of load and volume that there's burnout there. There's injury, there's overtraining, stress on our muscles and joints and nervous system, connective tissue. So, I mean, that all sounds negative, but I mean, that's just if you're overdoing it. You just have to know your limits. Maybe you're not doing hits every single day. Now, I get this a lot with clients, especially women who start doing some of these really popular hit classes and they're doing them five, six days a week, back to back to back, not giving themselves a recovery day, not varying their training modalities and training volumes and heart rate intensities. You don't need that every single day all the time. There needs to be an ebb and flow. So just like the interval itself is effective, interval training through the week is effective, a high intensity day and a low intensity day and a recovery day and an active recovery day (laughs) and a high intensity. So if you think about your week, the same you think about your specific workout, the week should be an interval, the workout should be an interval. So you don't need high intensity every day, just like you're not going to go and do 30 minutes of just high intensity work, you're going to be doing high and low intensity within that interval. So I think if you look at it as a microcosm of itself, then vary your week, vary your actual workout. I mean, I believe that the interval itself is certainly the most effective type of workout. Does it always have to be a 30-minute where your intensity level is going to 100% and down? No. I mean, I think there can be some variability there. So, you know, I think the ultimate goal with this discussion today is the best workout for you is the one you can stick with, the one that you can be consistent with, the one you enjoy most, because whether you do hits or you do steady state, if you don't do it consistently, it's not going to matter. At the end of the day, the thing that's going to help most with body composition, with fat loss, weight loss, weight management, sustainability is what you can stick with, what you have time for, what's not going to tax your body so much that you have to continue to take breaks or you're getting little nagging injuries or setting you back on that end, what's good for your mind, what gives you pleasure, what's not another stress because exercise in itself is stress. So If you're stressing your body in exercise and then you're also stressing it from a caloric deficit because you're chronically dieting, if you're also stressing it at work, 
If you're stressing it at home with financial concerns or family concerns, you have to determine if you need more stress from exercise or if exercise needs to be your stress relief. And I think that's where just making those decisions is really important because I think that you might make a decision depending on just what you need. So I think the other thing to think about is what your goals are. You know, your training should be determinant of your goals, just like your food should. You know, if it's a body composition goal, then your nutrition looks a lot different than if it's a muscle gaining goal or if it's a fat loss goal. So I think no matter what, you've got to position it with your goals and the type of training and the type of body that you're going to get out of that training is going to vary. I talked about those type one and type two muscle fibers. If you're looking for a longer, leaner sort of endurance runner body, then doing CrossFit and HIIT training is probably not going to get you there. If you want some bulk and you want some muscle mass and you want some more defined muscle and curves, then that's where those hits, the type two fibers that are going to be a shorter and stockier muscle, those are differences. And I think if you get a good combination, you'll end up with a nice balance there. And obviously that depends on what you're eating and if you're in a calorie. So there's a lot there. I'm not trying to imply that if you start doing hit training or doing some CrossFit or heavy lifting days that you're going to bulk up. And I, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But I think you just have to understand that the training and the food dictates the body you're going to get. So those are important things to consider. And no matter if you're doing steady state, cardio, HIIT training, weights, resistance, et cetera, the nutrition piece is always going to make a difference. So you can train your buns off, but if you're not fueling right or you're not matching the nutrition with the training modality, you may not get the outcomes you want anyway. And we've kind of talked about that. If you haven't listened to previous episode on diet or exercise, which is more important, I think I would definitely urge you to go back and listen to that because the training piece is only a small percentage of your overall total daily energy expenditure, but the food piece is going to trump it every time. So Definitely want to just finish up on that note, but I hope this was helpful in just understanding sort of the pros and cons and what you're getting out of one over the other and maybe what you're sacrificing out of one over the other. But, you know, hope this was helpful. I'm going to follow up probably with a little bit more on that heart rate stuff because I think that gets a little bit confusing, those fat burning versus cardio and what fuel you're using at different intensities. But you know, the bottom line there is that, yes, you're burning a higher percentage of fat at lower heart rates, but that doesn't mean you're burning more fat. And that's what I think the myth there is when it when you look on the cardio machines and it says fat burning zone. That doesn't mean like if you stay here at, you know, a 3.0 at no incline on the treadmill, you're going to just start like shedding fat. So that's what, what I want to avoid people's confusion on. So... Anyway, you guys have a good one, and I will talk to you next time. Let's do this.